You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for stopping by. We sincerely hope you are blessed. Enjoy. Stay in Job if you're there, but I want to make reference to begin this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about the comfort that those who are in afflictions receive from the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort comforts us in our afflictions. And in telling this, he recounts, he alludes to a situation that he and his friends were in in Asia. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And if it wasn't for the God of comfort who comforted Paul in his afflictions, he said we would have given up all hope. And that is why we are reading together and why we are looking together at the book of Job. We are looking here so that God might show us sources of comfort for us in the afflictions that we are in as well. And so we're going to turn now to Job chapters 6 and 7, 9 and 10, and 12, 13, and 14. As I talked about last week, the main body of the book of Job, 39 chapters, is a conversation mostly between him and three of his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And the conversation is shaped by the author along sort of a a cycle. So Eliphaz says something, Job says something back. Bildad says something, Job says something. Zophar says something, Job says something. And that cycle repeats three times. The second two are about the length of the first one all by itself. So last week we looked at just what the friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar say in that first cycle. And today we're going to look at what Job is saying in that first cycle as well. So we're going to listen to Job because, again, Job is our reliable guy. That's what chapters 1 and 2 are all about. Job is is the righteous man. He is the one who is blameless and upright, fears the Lord, turns away from evil, and even in his sufferings doesn't speak what is wrong. So we're supposed to listen to him and what he says about suffering. Now, if you were to read these chapters, and I hope that you have, and I hope that you will if you haven't, But if you were to read them, you would notice a lot of kind of common themes to what we've already seen in Job. Job is frustrated with his friends. We could do a whole sermon on how to not be a friend to somebody who's going through suffering based on the behavior of these friends. So Job is regularly expressing his frustration with his friends, sometimes in comical language. He says at one point, oh, that you would be quiet and that that would be your wisdom. (laughs) It's just a perfect burn, a scripture burn. So he talks about his frustration with his friends. He talks about his confusion at what God is doing. He talks about his grief and his anger. All of these are common, but there's some unique things that Job says in these chapters. A couple of unique themes here are he recognizes that God is behind his suffering. Whereas his friends are saying, Job, your sin is behind your suffering. He says, no, I see the hand of God in this. I don't understand it, but I see the hand of God in it. The other thing that's emphasized throughout these chapters is Job's awareness and his reliance on his relationship with God. This is a point of confusion for him. I thought we had a good relationship. I don't understand because we have this relationship. And the other great emphasis here is that Job is freely giving voice to his concerns to God in a way that sometimes strikes us as a little bit, is this okay for a person to be talking this way to God? 
But Job is regularly saying, I want to talk to God. I'm going to talk to God, whether he likes it or not. I'm going to, I'm going to make my complaints known to God. And what I want from my complaints is for God to come and, and we can talk. I wish we could talk, is what he, he says. So let's look at a couple of these themes in here in the text. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 4. So I'll draw attention to these three main themes as we kind of work through a couple of these verses here. Chapter 6, verse 4, Job begins in reply to Eliphaz. He says, The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. So again, he recognizes God is behind all this. He continues in chapter 7, verse 11. Look with me down in chapter 7, verse 11. He says, Therefore, having reflected for a while on God's role in this. He says, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. He's going to freely give voice to his concerns and thoughts. Let's skip down to chapter 10, where Job replies to Bildad. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Job says here, I loathe my life, and so I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. And skip now with me to chapter 13, where Job replies to Zophar. Chapter 13, verse 3, we see the same kind of uh, set of unique themes emphasized here in Job 13, 3. He says, I would speak to the Almighty. I desire to argue my case with God. He's speaking to God and he wants to speak to God. He has this relationship with God. He thought we see in chapter 13, verse 20. We're going to read verse 20 to 24. Job says to God, only grant me two things. Then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me, God. Let not dread of you terrify me. And then call and I will answer. Or let me speak and you reply to me. How many are, the, are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? So we see the themes here that he recognizes God is behind his sufferings. But they have a relationship, he thought. And so he wants to speak to God. He wants to bring his, his complaints to God. And, and so... Let's just start with this really noteworthy difference between the friend's uh, approach to the situation and Job's. The friends want to talk to Job and they want to talk about the problem of suffering. That's what we looked at last week. The friends are talking to Job about the problem of suffering. Job does not accept their explanations. He recognizes there's, there's something bigger going on here. And so what we see is that Job talks to God and wants to talk to God. This is so important as we begin, because even though we might read the friends, Eliphaz in particular, Bildad, Zophar, we might read them and their philosophical responses and go, oh, this is, a, this is pretty good. Job should listen to this. I like this. What do we know from chapters 1 and 2? Job is the one that we're to listen to. So even when he's doing things that aren't really philosophically stimulating or satisfying, it is his behavior and what he's doing that we are to be guided by. And there are two comforts that we can discern through Job's replies to his friends in this section. 
Two things that God has given us to comfort us and help us through our sufferings. One of them Job has, and one of them Job wishes he had. And so here's the first thing. Is Job has a connection to God. Job begins from a position of covenant connection with God. This is noteworthy because most of us, I feel, I mean, I have to confess, I feel this, the moment suffering comes into my life, we all experience suffering as being discontented, disconnected with God. We associate suffering with being cast out or cut away from God. Right? As soon as suffering comes, we go, why, why am I cast out? Why have I been cut off from you, God? This is where we start from. Which is kind of, a, it kind of makes sense, right? We were, a little brief story of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, we were created, connected to God. But in Genesis 3, because of sin, we were cast out. We were sent away from the presence of God into this broken world. And so that association with suffering and disconnection from God, makes, it makes kind of sense. But we learn almost right away, already by Genesis chapter 4, that God had made a way for sinners to stay connected to Him. Already we see sacrifices and offerings and people calling on the name of the Lord. That connection is what we see later developed in, in Israel through the Exodus and the tabernacle and temple. We see this, this covenant shaped that God has made a way, even for sinners, even in this world, to stay connected to Him. God has made a way for us to stay connected to Him. And we know from Job 1 that Job lived within that connection. And so let me encourage you with the first thing that we learn from Job in this section, which is that we should not let suffering force us to or lead us to assume that we are cut off from God. We shouldn't assume that we're cut off from God because we're suffering. I've seen this my whole Christian life. Christians who are experiencing something that they don't like, and so they assume that they're cut off from God, and so they begin to do sin hunting to figure out what do I need to repent of so that I can be back in the fellowship with God, so that I can be back in the realm of blessings that I desire. That is not where we live, friends. That is not where those who enjoy this covenant connection with God live. Instead, what we should do, as Job does, is we should trust God's covenant promises and assume that He's with us even in those hard places. And this is so hard. Job, Job bears witness to this because our emotions about this, our emotions feel true. And the friends and their logic can seem to be true, but what is the one absolute source of truth? It is God's word and his promises. His word can be relied on to assure us of what our feelings deny and what our logic clouds. We can rely on God's word. And this has, this is, this is, this has the practical effect in this passage of Job talking to God. He assumes he's got a connection with God, so he talks to God, as opposed to the friends who are talking about God. And as soon as I think about the way that I interact with most of my sufferings, it's like, oh yeah, okay. 
Suffering comes into my life. God, what are you doing? I get together. I just don't understand what's happening here. We talk about God. And then it's like a couple days later, I go, oh, you know what? Maybe I should pray about it. Maybe I should talk to God. Instead of just trying to understand, trying to get a measure of, a sense of control about this difficult thing. Uh, I understand that this might sound like it's simply, uh, it's just too simple. That Job is praying. That's the big revelation here. But, uh, but this is enormously important. Because this truth undermines what is one of the most spiritually deadly aspects of suffering. Which is loneliness and then prayerless despair. This is, if you've been, you've been in suffering, so you know how this works. The, our experience of, our experience of suffering grows the more we feel like we're, we're alone in it. And I don't know about you, but I, I come into a place of loneliness in my suffering where I just say, I'm not, I don't even want to pray. What good is prayer even going to be? That's how alone I'm feeling. And that is added to the noise of my suffering. It's like that loneliness and that prayerless despair amplifies my suffering. Have you heard of noise warfare? Noise torture? Like Like the world has figured out that even you can amplify the noise and disorient somebody, you, you massively increase their sense of suffering, their sense of pain. And this is what loneliness seems to do. And so this truth is simple and obvious as, as it is every time I discover it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It, it undermines this extremely dangerous part of suffering. The loneliness and the despair of it. So we can learn this is what Job has, and this is a good thing for us. He has a covenant connection with God that we don't see the friends make use of or have. Job has it. He's making use of it. He wants more of it. But Job has a problem. And this is a problem that I think we can all identify with. Look with me beginning in chapter 4, verse 17. Look back with me at chapter 4, verse 17. Now, this is actually not Job. This is Eliphaz. In Job 4.17, Eliphaz says this, and I want to trace a connection here. In Job 4.17, he says, Eliphaz says to Job, Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? This starts working on Job. And so look with me to what Job says in Job 9 verse 2. You hear Eliphaz's doubts re-articulated by Job. In Job 9.2, he says, Truly, I know that it's so, but how can a man be in the right before God? Eliphaz says, how can you be right before God? How can you have this connection? And later on, Job's like, you know, how can a person be right before God? And so Job starts from a place of connection, but he lacks confidence. He lacks confidence. We, we see him struggling with this. His, his confidence in that connection uh, eroding and, and, and rising and falling. He's struggling with confidence in his covenant connection with God. 
Job does not have this confidence, but here's what, here's what this passage of Scripture gives us that's just so beautiful. Job recognizes two things that would give him this confidence that he needs. Look with me here in chapter 9 at verses 32 and 33. Job chapter 9, verses 32 and 33. The first thing that would give Job this confidence that he needs He says in verse 32, God is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. And then in verse 33, he says, there is no arbiter between us. There is no mediator, no reconciler between us who might lay his hand on us both. You can see a footnote in some translations that say, would that there were an arbiter between us. Somebody who can lay his hand on us both. Have you ever had that, that sweet experience of, of either being that person or being a part of a tension with a friend or a coworker and somebody, they come and they put a hand on your shoulder and a hand on their shoulder and say, let's talk this out. Let's work this out. That's what Job is saying he needs. He needs somebody who can lay a hand on the shoulder of the Almighty God and put a hand on his shoulder in his sufferings and say, hey, let's... Let's get together. Let's, let's talk this out. Let's work through this. Let's, let's mediate this. And this is something that Job recognizes he needs because the gap between God and us is, it's infinite. It's enormous. Right here we've got the holy, infinite creator and the fallen and very limited creations. It's a huge gap. So what hope can we actually have of real connection? And that question can worm in there and undermine the word of God in our hearts. What business do you have coming to God with your complaints? You better watch the way you phrase that stuff. Oh, we, oh yeah, you're right. I should, oh, and then we start getting into, oh, you know, oh, holy God. We're, you know, and we're backing away from the word and covenant that we have in Scripture. We cannot stand before God on our own merits. And so what Job sees is somebody that we need. He sees someone who's able to stand before God on his own merits. Somebody who is just as holy and pure as God. But who would also be willing to be friends with people like us. Somebody who can stand before God, holy and pure, like God, and still be friends with people like us. If that person was in our life, then we would have confidence in our connection with God. Then we would have access to all the comfort that God wants to give us in our afflictions. That's the first thing Job sees that would give him confidence. But he doesn't have that assurance yet. Here's the second thing. Look with me at the very end here. Job 14, verses 13 to 17. Job 14, 13 to 17. It's interesting. This comes at the end of this first cycle. And it's almost like Job is finally sort of through this conversation realized, boy, this is what I need. This is what I need. I need God. I need God to do a great work of grace. So look at me at Job 14, 13. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, 
that you would conceal me until your wrath be passed, that you would appoint me a set time and then remember me. What's he talking about? He's saying, I want to be, I want to be hid in Sheol. I want your wrath to pass by me. And then from Sheol, I want you to remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? Verse 14, all the days of my service, I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you and you would long for the work of your hands. Job is saying, I need God. What I need is for you to do something so that the wrath of God passes me by. God, I need you to do some great work that raises me to a new life lived with you in this condition, verse 16. For then you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. God, I need you to do a work of grace that saves me from the wrath to come, that raises me to new life with you and brings me absolute forgiveness and grace and freedom. That's what Job recognizes. If I had that, then I would have the confidence that I'm now lacking. So Job knows that he has a connection with God, but his confidence is wavering. And so his suffering intensifies. He lacks this great mediator, and he lacks this great work of salvation. And these are both, these, these things, this connection and this confidence, are absolutely important for us in our sufferings. Imagine, how many of you have ever actually been on a boat in the ocean? Have you ever actually been on a boat in the ocean? So I've been to the ocean. I've been in the ocean numerous times. I don't think I've ever been on a boat in the ocean, which is fine. I like to be in the ocean up to where my feet can touch and, and not really much further than that. I'm a true Midwestern boy. I like splashing in it. <laughs> and that's about it. But imagine that you're at sea. Everywhere you look, it's open ocean. And you can see a storm coming. Now, would you rather be in a life jacket at that point or without a life jacket? I'd rather have a life jacket. Would you rather be in the boat or out of the boat as the storm approaches? I'd rather be in the boat. I'd rather have that connection to something. Would you rather be in a World War II era Russian inflatable or one that the Navy SEALs are packing out with today? Or a cruise ship? Would you rather be in that condition with a, uh, a depressed, drunk captain or a sober, steady captain? I want to be connected to something life-saving, but I also want great confidence in this. And the question that we're wrestling with is, under what condition do you want to go through life's hardships? We need this connection to life, but, but our confidence in that connection matters really as much or more for our survival than maybe the connection itself. 
See, suffering in this, world, in this life is inevitable. We're at sea. One of the reasons why I'm not enthusiastic about being in a boat on the water is because when I look down at the ocean, you know what I just see? Death. Is that morbid? Maybe I watched the wrong movies. It's death right there. It's 10 feet away and I'm dead. This is life. Death is near and storms are coming. In the book Deep Survival, the author says that really the primary difference between those who survive catastrophes and those who don't is not their gear, it's not their training. What is it? He calls it their positive mental attitude. So the difference between those who survive and those who don't is their sense of confidence which gives them hope and peace in the sorrows and troubles. And that's what saves them. That's what, what carries them through is their confidence in those things. As opposed to despairing, panicking. Connection gives no comfort without confidence. I'm looking out on a group of people who have this connection with Jesus Christ and should have all the comfort of the God of all comfort in all of our afflictions, but we don't, do we? We struggle with this because we lack confidence in the Word of God. We lack confidence in what Job has talked about needing. And so, friends, I have good news. We have good news that Job did not yet have access to, though he saw the shape of it. We have good news. Listen to the Apostle Paul one more time in 2 Corinthians 1. I cut off that reading a little early. He says in verse 9, we had felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was only to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, we were brought to the same place that Job was brought, the sentence of death hanging over us, but we knew what he only hoped for, that God would raise us to new life in absolute forgiveness. Paul says, we've got this thing. Friends, we have this great work of salvation exactly as Job hoped for, that we would be saved from the wrath of God, that we would be raised to walk in newness of life, that we would enjoy absolute forgiveness and grace and freedom. That is what we have, what Job hoped for. And we have all of this in that great mediator who can stand before God on his own merits and yet still throw his arm around us, Jesus Christ. We have confidence. I'm going to put up on the screen here if, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, but if you want to turn there, I'd encourage you to. Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 13 is where we're going to begin. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, the author of Hebrews says this. It says, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is what Job's struggling with. Who can stand before God? God sees all. But now look at what the author of Hebrews says. We're in a very different place, friends. He says in verse 14, Since then we have that great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let's hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with, say it, confidence. Say it again. Confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have confidence. Our anxieties and our fears, which are totally natural and justifiable, but those things amplify our something, uh, amplify our sufferings. But we have something from God in Christ to quiet our sufferings and to bring us comfort. And it's this. It is our confident connection with God through Christ. That is what gives us hope and peace in our sufferings. So let me encourage you this morning with this confidence that Jesus wants us to have. He, he died that we might enjoy it. That it might be there for us when we go through the storms of life. I would encourage you to, when suffering comes, start in your mind inside. Remember where you are. You are not cut off. You have not been cast away. You are there with God in Christ. And we can stand there with confidence because we're in that place, not because of any merit of our own. It wasn't what we did that obtained it, and it's not what we do that maintains it. We stand there in whose name? In Jesus' name. Why do we pray that way? It's not for God's sake. It's for our sake to remember that our prayer, we're here in Jesus' name. We're here before the throne of grace looking for mercy and help in our time of need. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The question is not, do you and I deserve it? The question is, does He deserve it? And what's the answer to that question? Is yes. And so we enjoy it. We can have hope and peace in our sufferings in Jesus' name. So start inside, remember where you are, and secondly, stand up straight, remember what you have. We have confidence to approach with boldness the throne of grace. Now sufferings, I know this, friends, sufferings will tell you that you have no business coming before God, and He has no interest in helping you. I mean, what do you think these sufferings are about but getting rid of you? Isn't that what your sufferings tell you? Why has God allowed these things, perhaps precisely for this moment, when we come to, when we are forced to truly believe, reflect upon Jesus and what he has done for us? So let's close with a simple reflection on how do we draw near with confidence? How do we draw near with confidence? In the ancient world, when you came near the king or the president or the, the grand poobah of whatever country or place you were in, right, you better do it with fear and trembling. Because if they were having a bad day, if they, if they ate too much and they didn't sleep good and they had indigestion, you could potentially be, this could be your last morning as you come before them, right? You did not want to come, you, you, you came before them with fear and trembling, but, but Paul says we can come, uh, Hebrews says we can come with confidence. So imagine the difference coming before this, this great powerful despot uh, on your own merits or as the friend of the heir of that throne, as the friend of the king's child. You might, come in, you might come in for a little while, still with a little bit of anxiety, but after a while, you come chasing the friend through the throne room. You come and you say, hey, can I stay over for lunch? Is that fine? Like you, just, you would be 
more familiar with the king. You would be more comfortable in that place. Why? Because you've just been there. You've been there. So let me encourage you to grow in confidence in the word of God here by being there, by running in there, by making your requests known to God. Our confidence is going to grow through our use of this and our presence with God. In Jesus' name, we can have peace and hope. I know that our sufferings, friends, make all of us feel lonely and insecure. And that loneliness and insecurity draws us, even from our pain and suffering, into the depths of despair. But those suffering amplifiers deny Jesus Christ. We who know Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, can have hope, we can have peace, we can come to God with Christ, and friends, we are being brought by Christ to God. And there we can find mercy and grace and help when we need those things. That's where we are and that's what we have in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? And then we'll sing to close and Mike will send us off with a benediction. Heavenly Father, we are here in Jesus' name. We love Jesus. We love who Jesus is, our great mediator, our great priest, our great friend. We love what Jesus has done. Forgiveness, salvation, the hope of eternal life and resurrection. We love these things, Lord, but we need your spirit to work that our confidence in them might grow. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that work. Increase our faith in your word. That whatever sufferings and sorrows we are experiencing or, or shall, we will be able to, in them, know the comfort that you mean to give us in your word and in our Lord Jesus. And that that comfort would steady us and give us peace and give us hope. Lord, these are things that every single one of us needs, but some of us maybe this morning need them more acutely than others. And so, Lord, I entrust, we entrust ourselves, I entrust all of us to your Spirit to pour out the love of the Father into our hearts in the ways that we each need that to happen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor David. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this reflection on Scripture, and we pray that this word dwells in you richly.